IBEC, the voice of Irish business. And you're very welcome back to IBEC Voices. With the EU Year of Skills underway, this episode focuses on Ireland's education system and its role in ensuring Ireland remains a lighthouse for talent, innovation and opportunity. Claire McGee, IBEC Head of Education and Innovation Policy, is joined by Dr Linda Doyle, Provost of Trinity College Dublin. Dr Linda Doyle was appointed the 45th Provost of Trinity College Dublin by staff and student representatives, coming into office in August 2021. She served previously as Trinity's Dean and Vice President of Research and she is an advocate for women in engineering and computer science. She has been involved in numerous initiatives such as Girls in Tech, Teen Turn and Her Story. To kickstart today, Linda, talk to us a little bit about your career and and in particular that bridge between engineering and the arts. I I see them as two very distinct but perhaps complementary disciplines and and maybe what's the big learning from that? Yeah, so Claire, um, well thank you Claire. Um, So I started life as an engineer, uh, electrical engineering and I suppose that kind of very much defines me and the way I think. But there was a certain part in my career where I think engineering in and of itself just wasn't enough. So actually I like things like engineering plus, engineering plus policy, engineering plus economics, but engineering plus creative arts practices was a really, really important thing for me. And how I use that, I had the privilege of working with uh, fantastic artists and, and designers. And I think it's very important that we question the technological development around us. And for me, that was a fantastic way to do that, to work with people who had a mindset that assumed there was no such thing as neutral design, that were really good at dealing with ambiguity that were fearless in looking at new technologies and that understood power and who was included and excluded and I always found that really really fruitful to work with uh, people like that. That sounds incredibly interesting probably a lot of learnings there for the business community I think so, who yeah. are dealing with this kind of constant change and ambiguity as you say. Yeah, and they're actually fantastic projects if you look across Europe there's one particular one that springs to mind is one called Arts Formation which looks actually precisely at what you're talking about how artists and creative practices work well for business and enterprise and um, there's many other projects like this but I think there's relearnings I suppose so you can actually I think be disruptive question yourself get that kind of bigger perspective mm. and for me it's always been incredibly useful to work with artists Because the language we often hear from, from our members is that they like to hire in people who are curious mm. who are creative and who are innovative which I think probably can be captured by those two disciplines You're almost two years in your role as, as Provost of Trinity College Tell us about your ambitions. I think you set out a really clear manifesto under Imagine Trinity, but also your ambitions now that you're in in post, but also for Trinity and what that then ultimately means for Ireland. It's funny, really, despite actually being nearly uh, two years in, and even though I did set out that manifesto, when people ask you that question, you've so much to say. But I've kind of two ways of answering it. So the first way is that I think Trinity is full of really talented, amazing students and staff. And essentially, a lot of the time, I just want to get out of the way and let those people do brilliant things. And a lot of what we have in the system puts you in the way. I think a lot of things that are, you know, about uh, bureaucracy and oversight and how we run things ourselves. Mm. So, so, so part of what I want to do is just get out of the way. 
the other way I look at things and for me I find it quite powerful so I draw a lot on I, I don't know whether you're familiar with the donut economics kind mm. of mindset so when you look at Kate Thrayworth's work she talks about this notion of ecological ceiling and she says that human society will thrive if you have a very strong social uh, foundation and you live within your ecological ceiling and for me I kind of map that onto the university landscape mm. and I think that my job is to make sure we live within our ecological ceiling or to help us do that which is really difficult mm. and we're not at the moment and to build an, a really strong foundation uh, and that social foundation is about security of tenure it's about good working practices it's about dignity and respect it's about a really inclusive environment so you have all of those ideas and all of those different perspectives brought to bear uh, it's about access for people from different backgrounds and all of those things and the stronger you make that the more individuals would thrive mm. and then when you live within your ecological ceiling you're doing through the fantastic research you can do and through how you educate people to think and do things differently I think that's that's where we're kind of going for It's absolutely fascinating and I think we could actually spend the whole time just, just speaking about that but again um, very relative to a lot of the IBEC work we're yeah. doing at the moment is around how do we lead others in, mm. in, in that space. Um, I mentioned you're a very strong STEM advocate mm. um, and, and we in IBEC here across our, our trade associations do an awful lot of work again around STEM promotion. And what we see sometimes is there's a huge amount of activity in this area and enterprise contributes a significant amount of time and resources into that, but really not shifting the dial as much as we'd like to see. Is there one big thing that you think we could do that could ultimately be a game changer for this? It's funny that you say that because I think the same myself, uh, even though you see improvements uh, everywhere and, you know, uh, broadly speaking in education, there are more women in, Mm. in third level than men. For me, I've shifted my perspective on, on, on when I think about women in STEM and I think of it in the following way. I think that every woman needs to be technically literate and it doesn't matter what actually you're studying or where you're working. Yeah. And I think if you start to think of it like that as a vocabulary, as a way of understanding the world around you, um, because if you don't have that vocabulary and you don't understand that world around you, you have no say in what's happening next. So you don't have to be an engineer or a computer scientist but you do have to be technically aware and literate. Because if you think of it, if you think of the problems that you mentioned earlier and, mm. and, and, and things you want IBEC to do and the skills you think IBEC needs, um, they're not coming from any one discipline anymore. They're no. coming from multiple disciplines right across arts, humanities and social science, engineering, uh, STEM, health sciences. So right across that, you need people to be technically literate. And that's the way I think about it. Almost empowering those people. Exactly. My, my yeah. one thing, I think the big thing I'd like to see is, and it, it has started, so we'll see the rollout, is introducing STEM disciplines on the curriculum in, in primary school. Mm-hmm. So the new primary framework curriculum, I think that could be a little bit more of a game changer on it. So fingers crossed that that will go well. And I, I know Trinity and, and your Department of Education will be involved in that. Absolutely, yes. I'm keen to talk to you about public policy. That's yeah. my area of work. And I can I know see how much you love it. Your eyes light up. And investment in higher education and research and mm. innovation. A huge amount of discussion happening in that arena at the moment. And it, it's a really a central pillar to IBEC's policy activity. I think any discussion we have with our membership, be it international tax policy, be it housing, transition to net zero, it always comes back to people, mm. their talents, their skills and their ability to innovate. So it's a, it's a critical business issue and it's a key element always of our, our, of our budget campaigns. So when you think about that, that's that intersection between, of the Venn diagram, I think, between education and, and enterprise and where it overlaps. And that's why it's so important for us to continue to, to lobby in this space. 
talk to me as I suppose a leader in education and how that env- that public policy has an impact on you yeah. and your ambitions then for for the inst- and for Trinity as an as an organisation. Okay, so uh, broadly speaking, and you know you know this yourself um, as a university. Um, I think we're here, obviously, uh, to, to to educate the next generation of uh, talent and leaders. We're here to do research, you know, to break boundaries, to push things forward. We're here to question society. Um, we're here to bring critical thinking to things um, and all of the things. We're here mm-hmm. to innovate, uh, do spin-outs and engage with industry, all of that. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about a university, that you, 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 you there are touch points right across that. Mm-hmm. Um when I look at uh, how you talk or when I look at how we talk as a country, we always say we really value education and we talk about the knowledge economy and we're really, really proud of that. But in my opinion, we don't enough put our money where mm. our mouth is. So we often look at the European Universities Association. They have a, an, an observatory where they look at education systems right across Europe. And every year they produce a summary of how they're doing. And I always talk about it from the, t- uh, from the perspective of good graph, bad graph. So on the good graph lands all of the thriving education systems and on the bad graph lands the ones who are not so thriving. And Ireland is consistently on that. Not where we want to be. Absolutely not. And, and the really interesting thing, so what that really measures, it measures the amount of money that's going into the system per student. And what we see in Ireland in the higher education sector is there's a huge increase in number of people going, but then there's less and less money per student. And when you look at what you're talking about, right, if we say, okay, the young people of this country are our future and they really matter to all of the businesses, they matter to uh, the economy, they matter to society. Public sector. The public, yeah. We are saying that we value them less than we did the previous generation. And, you know, politicians often say to me, nobody's giving out about, uh, you know, research, investment in research or investment in this on the doorstep. But I think if you turn that around and you say there's 55,000 people in higher education. Think of the numbers of families involved in that. And you're saying that every single one of their children is worth less than the generation before in the way we invest in education. You pulled out the really interesting kind of list there of what universities do. Mm -hmm. And I often wonder, do we really know that? And are like if we stopped 100 people now on Grafton Street and asked them that very question, do you think then maybe government or maybe the broader public take universities for granted? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two sides to everything. And I would never say this in a way that it's all somebody else's fault and not our fault. I have to say, I'd say that up front. I think there is much better work now uh, if you look at organisations even like Science Foundation Ireland and they have a big focus on that education and public engagement and and the IRC and they always think about this. So in everything we do now, we do make a big effort to try and explain it. But I think the thing is, is you can never stop explaining that. And I think it is always really important to do that. And sure, when I'm going through Trinity uh, on a daily basis, I keep discovering new and wonderful things that I didn't didn't know. So I think there's always an onus on us to try and do a better job of that. Mm. But I think you are right in the sense that, you know, uh, the universities, like uh, education is uh, on the one hand so established in Ireland, maybe people just don't think about it enough and take it for granted. Mm. Trinity are are back in the top 100 Mm -hmm. of the QS rankings, which I think is a great achievement. Talk to us a little bit about that leadership role of a top 100 university for Ireland. So the rankings, I I suppose uh, you've probably heard me say this before. I have a 
a complex relationship <laughs> with the rankings. So I am very proud of this. But for me, the key thing is, is that we have the behaviours that we feel are really important and that those behaviours drive rankings rather than rankings drive our behaviours. I would say that very much. Um, the rankings, whether I like it or not, do matter. People make judgments about Ireland. People in other countries decide whether or not they're going to come to Ireland on the basis of that and where they'll study. So they do matter, no matter, no matter uh, what my mixed feelings are. And I do think in terms of that leadership, going back to what I said earlier, what I'm here to do is to ensure that our staff and students thrive because if they thrive, if they're able to do all of the innovative and creative things that they can do, I know they can do, if they're able to get on with research and kind of do great things, then we're able to maintain that. There's various different rankings mm. and they measure things in different ways. But a huge factor in the rankings is this thing called staff-student ratio. So it boils down to the money that's invested in the system and your ability to create the right kind of environment with enough people to support the students that are learning and enough people to do the kind of research that you want to do. And, and perhaps a re-focus or reinvigorated energy into that into that staff-student ratio will have a better outcome for everybody. I think absolutely. I think so. I mean, I think the better staff-student ratio means that you can give more time to students. Mm. You can spend more time on research. You can do more innovating. You can have greater relationships with industry because you have the time for it. So from your perspective and from my perspective... It's a win-win. Exactly. And for government, it's a win-win with that as well. You've just recently become chair of an international organisation, so congratulations on that. But talk to us a little bit around Trinity's international network, because we, as as a business community, are are incredibly internationalised. We are very export orientated and a very open Mm -hmm. economy. And is there learnings from your networks or opportunities through your networks that we can extend to the broader business community? So the network you refer to is a network called the uh, the League of European Research Universities and there's um, 23 universities in it and they're all very research intensive. So I find it fantastic and it's brilliant to be part of it because people do different things. You know yourself when you look at how people do different things in different institutions. There's always great things to learn and, and, and you know, the culturally, culturally in all of the different countries, people have a different approach. So that's fantastic as well. So I think ultimately it's really important, uh, you know, as, as we always describe ourselves as a small uh, open economy. And I think that outward looking piece is, is huge. If you see what happened in COVID, and I know we we refer to this a lot, actually what a lot of the university sector did, people in Trinity and and right across the sector, was draw on those international networks time and time again. So they might be international networks of scientists, international networks of public sector people, international networks of policymakers, um, educationalists, to actually input to what was happening in Trinity, you know, and to use that, that knowledge. So I think, you know, a country like Ireland absolutely needs those kinds of spaces in which we can be very outward looking. And I agree with you, we could probably um, share work, yeah, and, yes, and, exactly and work more a little bit more. You, sp- you speak there about uh, research intensity and obviously there's big discussions going on externally mm-hmm. around uh, the development of a new research and innovation agency. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or indeed just around that broader investment in research and innovation. I bet position is we need a really strong foundation in research and across the continuum in order to be able to translate that research into innovative ideas, innovative people and innovative technologies. So it's around kind of getting the foundation and the fundamentals right. However, constrained funding environment means we probably do have to pick winners. 
And where's your thoughts on See, that? Elizabeth? So I would there. There's where I'd probably uh, have have some different thoughts to you on that. So in terms of the funding agency, it is really important that we allow the bottom up as well as the top down. Mm-hmm. And the bottom up is where individuals whether you want to call it in the basic research space and applied research or any other words you want to use, where those individuals have brilliant ideas and are able to put those ideas on the table and get funded. And they don't need to be funded all the time, but they need the opportunity Mm. to get funded. And the key thing there, the most important thing, is that there is a solid yearly timetable. And if you don't get funded this year, you can try next year and you can try Mm. the year after because we completely applaud anything that's competitive and highly competitive Mm. and internationally examined for its competitiveness. So I think if we don't allow individuals with great ideas that are left afield and coming from Mm. who knows where, put those ideas on the table, we will bring innovation to a halt in this country because that is where the random things, the things that we now consider top-down priorities, Mm. we sometimes act as if they landed from the moon on, (laughs) you know, they didn't. They came because somebody originally had this random idea that didn't seem relevant at all, that was able to progress that. And then over time, we saw, oh, that's a really important thing for this country and let's drive that further. So for me, it's about the balance between that top down and bottom mm. up. So if you leave that bottom up, really thrive. And then you have some of your top down priorities that that are, are may uh, maybe around uh, kind of more large scale collaboration and kind of driven that way. If you have a system that's balanced like that, I think you'd be really, really well you and have strong. A strong foundation to be able yeah. to do the very interesting yeah. things at, at, across. And that. don't overthink what those things should be, mm. you know. And I mean, it's really key as well that we uh, allow space for every and any discipline there. Absolutely. So that bottom up and the individual thing, I wouldn't even be thinking which and what discipline. I'd be thinking of it. Okay, is this a really good? idea is this does that then if if that was enabled would that give your institution and your university greater freedom to achieve your mission I think it would give the sector greater mm. treatment, not just just ours. Mm. So I think there's nothing wrong with having, um, and I've benefited hugely from some large scale collaborations. You mentioned earlier, I was in the Centre Connect and it was brilliant to bring things together um, at a critical mass and to work uh, in that way. But that alone won't do things. You need that kind of completely fresh, that constant renewal mm. that you haven't thought about it and you're not you're not restricting. That's kind of just bringing the brilliance yeah. together once yeah. the brilliance is established. In yes, a sense. exactly. Yeah. And that that is actually what you find if you look even going back to COVID again. Like nobody sat down and said, we're going to have a big pandemic. Let's create all these people. What they did there is that through various different Uh, You used the word talent at the beginning. It was the investment in talent where you let that talent flourish and that talent then was there and that talent then was able to in a very agile way, kind of refocus itself on the on the on the crucial issue we were facing. You can't predict everything that's going to happen. So that bottom up piece is is that piece that gives you the resilience, that gives you the imagination, that gives you the opportunity uh, when you might then need to focus it on something because you've actually allowed that to flourish. And then it all, you also, I mean, if you look at anything right across the world, they will say that's what you need as well for the kind of future ideas for the the really key innovation. You know, it's not just the top down stuff. One thing that I felt during COVID was the student voice yeah. was very strong and actually very articulate in, in um, I suppose, identifying their, their, their current challenges. And I think that's more empowered ever since and it's great to see it. I'm really interested in your thoughts on 
the future of work and I often talk about the future of work but actually probably don't engage enough with the student yeah. voice who will be the future of work. Yeah. So I'm wondering have you have you a perspective on that and indeed how can education and enterprise react and adapt to that new thinking that's coming from from students at the moment? Yeah, I think it's complicated. I mean, one of the strange things about COVID is it both reinforced the ability for us to do things differently, as well as at the same time reinforcing the need for that sociability and the importance of place. So I think I'm always from the future of work, when I look at the future of work at Trinity, we're always kind of juggling those two things. And um, I can see myself um, when I look at our students, uh, I can see the long tail of COVID still there. Mm. And I can see a lot of things that come from um, that isolation that happened over COVID. So there's part of me that says, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. We can do things totally differently. But there's part of me that says the human being does need that kind of contact. So the future of work, from my perspective, will always be a mix of those two things. Maybe there's some jobs that are purely remote, but I think it'll also always be a mix of it. I think more importantly in in the context of of the future of work is the whole AI issue that Mm. we keep uh, popping up and how do we educate students to have the kind of critical thinking they have, they need to work with the AI tools that are evolving, how to make them aware of, I suppose, the bias that's in these systems, but no matter what, understand how they then can use it in their power. And that, I think, is a, is challenging. I, I think you've just articulated an example there of disruption that's in industry at the moment and the pace at which that's coming at and how when we talk about students, maybe we're geared to thinking of a student as a 18 to 24 year old but actually that's changing and that's disrupting too and we need to empower people and 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 employers to support people on this continuous learning journey Uh, that's uh, yeah and in fact actually you hit the nail on the head so we are kind of we have a kind of project called what is a student in trinity and it's precisely for what you say so in trinity at the moment the kind of typical way you come as a four-year undergraduate you might do a four-year phd or a one to two-year master's now there's some other models and we have an emerging as you, you probably know the term micro-credentials there's some fantastic micro-credential pilots ongoing in the sector at the moment in multiple universities and that's in recognition of the fact that people first of all will dip in and out of education for the long term and secondly I think in the future I can imagine if you dip in out and things you kind of curate your own degree where you bring we talk about these things being stackable and you bring things together and I think that's really really important and you know when you spoke about talent earlier as well things are changing all the time and I think it's really really important that people are able to access education in new and different ways Um, and I also think it's important for access itself it allows you to fit it in around the kind of lifestyle that you might want so I think all of the sector is very very cognizant of that and you'll see new things emerging you know I don't think it makes sense for everyone to offer all the same things but you'll see us all kind of figuring out where are we going next and what's what's the best we can do in those in that space I think it's going to become more and more important Um, we know the research out there that one in three jobs will actually be impacted by by technology. So we have to constantly ensure that we are able to unlearn, relearn for the next wave of opportunity. And we like to talk about it as circular education, so that you dip in and dip out at at, at times that's that's relevant for you. Just 
that role of transdisciplinary education and research in addressing these grand challenges. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID again was a wonderful example of it. It just wasn't one discipline that uh, was able to solve this. This it, it really showed how when you pulled thread yeah. at, a, at one element, it had that ripple effect uh, across society and, and across the economy. So I'm just thinking about globalisation and understanding different cultures, for example, arts and humanities and how that will have a major role in the next wave of, of technology and understanding the human mm-hmm. uh, element of that or even science and psychology. Just just think about your, your thoughts on that and ha- bring, bring, going back to your roots really with yeah. that and how can we see that as, as the future? So we often talk about, I don't know whether you've heard the kind of T-shape, mm, T-shape person. Absolutely. So I think it's really, really important that you, you, you know, you have some deep knowledge in whatever it is you're interested in or, or you're studying or your focus. But um, for me, I suppose the greatest kind of innovation and kind of new ideas come on the boundaries of where disciplines kind of interact and collide with each other. We have one uh, piece of campus that we refer to generally as Trinity East and that's where we're at, uh, our new innovation hub called Portal is currently underway and for us that's going to be a space that's going to be really intensely about research innovation and, and place of culture as well so we're looking for researchers, innovators and cultural practitioners uh, to be down there and do great things and w- I've been thinking about this a lot and one of the things we want to do is not have kind of boundaries between disciplines. So you won't be saying here are the physics people, here are the other people, here are the English uh, literature people. So for us, one of the kind of things we're going to bring to that space is that side by side, every and any discipline can be. And ultimately, we're interested in everything and anything uh, to do with sustainability are done in a sustainable way. So Mm -hmm. that really opens it up. So for me, that ability to be side by side um, physically, you know, not just mentally, Mm. actually then starts the ball rolling to get the really, really true interdisciplinarity and I kind of have this 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 kind of image in my mind that either if you were bidding some visiting researcher or you were bidding uh, a big multinational or you were bidding uh, an SME through that landscape they would be kind of bumping into people from all sorts of different backgrounds and that would get them thinking about how they do their work and how they go mm. about things and you can imagine kind of composing a team uh, to be able to tackle a particular problem you know, in that kind of very agile way from those people around you who are used to then talking to each other. And for me, that's that piece as well. So one of the greatest things that I learned as well from the work with the creative arts practitioners was that ability to translate between disciplines. And one of the people I worked with, the woman called Jessica Foley, she came up with this term inreach rather than outreach. And Mm. I always thought it was really, really powerful. So sometimes if I'm one kind of engineer and you say we're another kind of engineer and then we had a physicist, there's an automatic uh, belief that we'd all be able to speak to each other. Um, But she developed the term inreach, recognising that even different disciplines that were kind of all STEM like weren't weren't able to talk to each other. So, so, So a space that's truly interdisciplinary puts people side by side with no disciplinary boundaries, but also provides mechanisms that help people kind of communicate across those boundaries. So therefore, through you learning new vocabulary, you see your own work in a different way. You're also able to talk to someone else, get new ideas and then brilliant and different things happen. I think that'll be actually transformative even for for the people who then move from Trinity and into the world of work beyond that because organisations are shifting away from that traditional job profile and that job spec and sitting there into the more agile skills-based organisations where you move people 
to, around to deliver on a project that best suits the, uh, their talents and yeah. their their capacity. And yeah. it doesn't stop you having, we'll say, like I think to a certain extent, even though sometimes when today people describe me in, in the context of, of, of the engineering work I did, even in less than two years, it seems like a distant thing. But nonetheless, what makes me an engineer is not the fact that I remember anything to do with a particular subject to do with engineering, but the way I think and a particular structure I bring to it. And what makes people um, something of another discipline is is whatever structure and way they think. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that that's powerful. And I used to notice this. So half of my PhDs were um, kind of engineers or computer scientists and the other half were artists or designers. And I used to often say the engineers love starting from a set of constraints and the artists love starting from a blank piece of paper. Uh, um, and I used to spend all my time trying to make the engineer take an idea and expand it. And I spend the rest of the, the time with the artist taking millions of ideas and contracting it. And it's really, really interesting. So it's nothing to do. It's not that the engineer isn't creative or isn't full of curiosity, just like the artist is. There's just a different flow to how you do it. And both of those are really, really valuable. And it's kind of how do you actually tap into those for whatever the problem is that you're doing, yeah. you know, and use different ones, different times, but recognise as well that each other has a different way of working. I think significant learning here, I think, for for. for for enterprise around how to yeah. build those teams uh, without a doubt. Linda, just bef- before we finish up, I'd love to chat to you about you as the chief officer really for Trinity College Dublin and, and the fact that the, Trinity is probably the largest city centre organisation yeah. and employer. Do you ever think about that in terms of the social and indeed the economic impact of Trinity on the city? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was... Um, the late Neil McCullough, an architect who actually um, with Valerie Mulvin actually did some of the buildings in Trinity. He has a book about Dublin and he said in the book, you know, that what's at the centre of a city really tells you a lot about a city. And in most cities, it can, can it be a palace or a seat of government. And we have a university at the centre of a city. And that seems like a really plain statement. But I, when I heard it, I was like, oh, my God, that's so incredible. So for us, any kind of growth, development, educational, social, economic development is completely tied with the mm. landscape around us. And I mean that in every single way. So, I mean, you only have to walk into Trinity at the weekend to see or any day to see that, for example, it's also a living like the Book of Kells. Uh, and, you know, we have a major um, restoration project on in our, our, our long room. And that is so important to the um, to us and actually to the city that we're building. I have, if you've been in Trinity recently, you might have seen a gigantic red box. So it's an interim exhibition that's going to be in there when the old library closes down for the conservation uh, period. When, as we say, 10 kilometres of books are being taken out of it. 10 kilometres. Beautifully taken care of, kept active because it's a living, breathing, working library and then put back in again when everything's conserved. But so there's that level where it's, you know, it's part of the heritage of the city. You have to look at that from a systematic point of view. You, you know, you have to see yourself as a cog in a wheel, even in terms of biodiversity. You need to think network wide, the city wide. How does what you do fit in with the other spaces around mm-hmm. the city? So there is nothing we can do. I think, you know, without thinking about the wonderful city around us. And it is something very particular and unique to be a city centre university. And that brings with it constraints, but Mm. it also brings with it huge opportunities. And 
Do you feel then you face the same universal challenges faced by any leader of a large organisation? You know, those quality of life issues. We just did a recent survey of IBEX CEOs and 70% of them stated that housing was a critical challenge. And I'd imagine has an impact for you on staff and and students. It has. Uh, I mean, it's I would say, and this is my worry, I think Ireland is becoming more and more uncompetitive as a place to go, um, you know, year on year. And you might remember there, um, I think it was last year, the French ambassador had there was something on the embassy website about how difficult it was to find accommodation in Ireland. And that is good for nobody. And it's really tough on our students. Um, So we have students who simply have to commute hugely long distances. And all of the stuff you spoke about earlier, again, when they go to university, what they learn in the lecture Mm -hmm. theatre, as much as we'd like to think, is only a small part. It's all of the other skills that you have. So the minute somebody has to commute long distances or spend every waking hour working um, they, they lose all that and they lose the, the opportunity to focus on their, 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 their academic work, but they also lose those wider skills. Those kind of, empl- we actually refer to them as those employability skills because they're the skills that you yeah. take to hone your academic yeah. or that yeah. kind of T uh, graduateship to be able to kind of yeah. have those conversations in the broader world. Yeah, yeah, and when I look at some of the clubs and societies we have in Trinity and like when I look at the, uh, the skills people learn by running the student newspapers, being in things like the student managed fund, you know, uh, being in Vincent de Paul, all being in, uh, you know, they, they're incredible skills that the students learn. So so for us, accommodation is huge. And as you mentioned, not just for students, for staff, um, it, you know, when you're trying to attract people from around the world, which we need to continue to do, um, and then they really excited about a job and then they turn up uh, to have a look around and they discover they can't even find somewhere to not afford it, uh, let alone, um, I think it's, 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 it's a tragic and I think this is a problem that has been signposted for years and years and years and years. And it's a problem that's fixable if there is a will to fix it, mm. you know. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a critical kind of business issue at this stage. And, and, and we have our policy recommendations yeah. around that and, and, and we'll continue and to push a, on it. It's a critical society issue Absolutely. because, I mean, 12,000 people homeless in a country as rich as Ireland is just not on. Absolutely. And, and has that impact on that broader attractiveness of Ireland. And those families and yeah. those, those children and those people's ability to go and avail of whatever education they want to. Can you imagine how difficult it is to avail of education in any in, in such a precarious life? So it, it, it behoves us all to do something to about this. To improve that. Absolutely improve that situation. Uh, talk to us then about attracting talent and retaining talent as, as a leader in, in your university. So, um, I mean, you're, you know, you, you play on a, on, a, on a global stage and you, you want to be able to attract the best talent from around uh, in terms of your staff and, and in students. So at the moment we have about 30% of students from outside Ireland and then we have obviously our wonderful students from Ireland too. So it's, it's, it's really important for everyone that people have that kind of diverse experience that there's kind of multiple cultures there's people from 105 nationalities in Trinity and I think that's really really important and you know we know ourselves how polarised the world is getting so that's also really important in terms of your education and it's really important in terms of decision making that we have the different input so for us it is challenging and going back to um, what I said earlier um, in terms of budgets people will be surprised to hear this, like 13% of our budget, we're a public university and 13% of our budget comes from our core grant from government. And, you know, that's, it's that bit, it's the core grant that's really important that allows you to plan. That's for people who don't know the kind of essence of the main bit of the grant you get year on year and year. Mm. And that's the bit that allows you to plan for the long term. That's the guaranteed bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so everything yeah. else is variable. Yes. Yeah. So, so we, so on top of that, we have some money from 
and fees. We have to bring in money from philanthropy. We have to bring in money from commercial revenue. And then there's competitive research funding. Um, and some of that obviously comes from government agencies. But but it's that core grant that determines so much for us. And if I had, that's my one request, that that needs to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see that every, I'm not alone in saying that. No. You'll see that right across the sector. And that's the bit that allows you to really plan and think about the talent and attract talent and retain talent. So that needs to grow much more to be able for you to then work on the better, bigger, more variable agenda. You mentioned they're playing on a global stage. So as a globally networked university, what are the big worries that other countries or continents are currently experienced that are, do you think it'll hit Ireland very soon? Yeah, it's it's funny. I think to a certain extent, because Ireland is so open, we, we tend to be fairly aware of um, of these. So, I mean, I can't pass this without saying, obviously, climate change and Absolutely. biodiversity loss, it, you know, and it's not that that we need to be in an international network to know this, but it is the big worry. And uh, I just read about the 1.5 degrees uh, ceiling being broken by 2027 there in some headline yesterday. Um, so that remains a huge, huge issue. But there are other things that I think that are really emerging and, you know, they're kind of, I suppose, a bit new for Ireland. So there's a a huge focus now on kind of information security and the geopolitics of the world is kind of forcing a retrenchment and a kind of a more inward looking kind of way of doing things, which is the very opposite to kind of the academic way of open and sharing. So so I think there's an awful lot of kind of discussion about Mm -hmm. what you share, what you don't share and how you protect things that's come into the conversation really in the last year or two in a, in a very stark way, much more than I would have heard before. And I think that's going to have a big impact for business. Absolutely, absolutely huge impact for business. And you can see it already in Ireland that we're grappling with many things in that front. In that front. Uh, my last question, Linda, is really around who are Trinity's competitors and comparators? So... Um, you mentioned earlier we're part of this Liru network and to me when I look across that network I mean I'm always comparing ourselves to those universities I'm always looking and seeing what other universities are doing and and thinking you know how could we do something better so I would they, they'd be a good example of that bank of universities but to me our competitors and comparators also have nothing to do with universities because I love academia and it isn't the only way to do things I, I think any person coming out of school should go where it's right for them but in one sense, going back to your conversation earlier about uh, the role of a university is a society at large attitude to education and us constantly, and I think rightly so, having to remain relevant, prove our worth. So that kind of competition, the competition where people um, where, where people question the expert and question the need for knowledge and the question the need for evidence-based uh, research and question the need and where society at large can be very dismissive of that. And you see it uh, in huge tranches around the world. I mean, that's more a competitor, you know, for the it's a competitor to the idea, the very idea of a university, I suppose. I put it like that. I think I think that really sums it up really well in the sense that it brings me back full circle to the point that we're we're hoping to have with these conversations mm-hmm. is it's around that quest for knowledge that quest for information yeah. that quest for innovation and it's people and their skills their talents and their ability yeah. to to maybe ask those bigger questions in the future and Li- I would just add ask the bigger questions be curious uh, you know be okay with different opinions and different ideas, you know, understand that there's multiple perspectives and kind of work in that nuanced space rather than having everything having to be polarised into one thing or another. 
and continue to keep those questions. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Linda Doyle, Provost of Trinity College, thank you very much. Thank you. We hope that you enjoyed this episode of IBEC Voices. To explore our full podcast offering, visit ibec.ie forward slash podcasts and make sure to follow the series IBEC Podcasts to stay up to date with new episodes. IBEC, the voice of Irish business.